Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. All right. So I'll just welcome everybody. And then you and I are just having a conversation. People happen to listen. So, okay. I love it. You know, I, uh, well, we'll go ahead and start. You ready? Sure. Ready, Matt? Ready. All right. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're so glad you're here. I am so excited to have one of my favorite people on the planet. One of the people that influenced me uh, in a great degree. I, you know, I'll claim that he doesn't have to, you know, I won't give him credit for all the bad stuff, but just the good stuff. But, but it's Steve Shogren. Steve, thanks for joining us at Spirituality Adventures. Hey, Fred, good to be with you, man. And I reflect that back, you know, on my short list of people I enjoy being with that uh, challenge me and get me going, thinking, encouraging ways that you're definitely on that list, man. Well, thanks. Yeah, really. Um, I want to, so a lot of the audience, I mean, people that went to my church, they would have heard me talk about you over a 28 year period of time. Some of those folks are tuning in, but a lot of the audience maybe not doesn't know you. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we're going to have a little, you share a little bit of your backstory, but, but we connected in the nineties when you were pastoring the Cincinnati vineyard, it was one yeah. of the fastest growing churches in America. You were easily one of the most creative, energetic pastors, fun that I'd ever been around. Mm. And uh, we're so creative in your pastoral ministry. I think you and Doug Murin, you, and you introduced me to Doug and, uh, right. and I hung out with Doug some too. And so, uh, but I, I, I just enjoyed you guys so much. And then we've, mm. you know, we've continued our relationship since then. So, and, and you've been through a lot, man, you've gone mm. through a lot and God has used you in so many ways. So I'm excited for our audience to uh, get to know you. Thanks, so, mm. yeah. So let's start kind of where, where were you born <laughs> One of our uh, connections <laughs> from Wichita, Kansas, Wichita. born in this obscure hospital called St. Francis, which is where uh, I was born. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That, we know this. That is but no, our audience didn't know. We we're literally born in the same hospital in Wichita, Kansas. So me about three decades before you apparently, but uh, <laughs> uh, not quite a couple of years, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I was born in 61. 55. So, oh, God, you beat me by six. All right. Yeah. All right. But my well, it's now, it's now a mental health uh, institution. So, <laughs> again, we probably ought to consider rechecking in, just in case for a health check. Yeah, that's right. I might wind up there again one of these days, you know. So, um, then uh, tell us, you know, from Wichita, where did you land and like mm -hmm. how did, how did you, end up in the early vineyard movement in California. Okay. Uh, Wichita to California. <laughs> leapfrog real fast. The first part, my, my dad tragically died uh, at age 39 in Wichita in the late sixties. 
Um, he was uh, uh, CEO of a president uh, of a, a company, a plastics company in Wichita, and really uh, an amazing go-getter, but just suddenly got sick, died within weeks of cancer. It was horrible. Uh, my mom is an anesthetist. Uh, she is from Arizona. We thought, hey, let's uh, talk it over. Let's move back to Arizona. Kind of fun there. So moved back out to Arizona, uh, went to high school there after being all the way through uh, ninth grade, actually, in, in Wichita. And then uh, during that, that time in, in a little town called Globe, Arizona, uh, which is the story gets interesting, is only like 10,000 people live there but had an amazing life-changing uh, high school experience there. And uh, hmm. so you don't need the world's largest high school in the world to, uh, to have an amazing, you know, background that uh, really cool things happen, you know, yeah. out of, and uh, I was sent to Norway to be a foreign exchange student. And again, that first part of the story we previously got into, which you have to be involved with to be a part of, okay. A little commercial there. Yeah. Uh, Our but, bonus uh, content. Yeah. Yeah. Bonus content. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, while there in Northern Norway as a foreign exchange student um, in Northern Norway, began to read the Bible, uh, met a couple of Christians, uh, really came to faith. Uh, I call it now personal faith. And uh, we need to be healthy as in group faith as well as personal faith uh, in my mind. And uh, but came back and was just rocked. I, I, I instead of going to a pre-med track at University of Arizona, I decided to go to Bible school. And uh, went to one in L.A. for two years, uh, a Lutheran school called at the time Lutheran Bible Institute. Um, and uh, during that time, I was a teller at a bank in downtown L.A. part time and then going to school mostly in the mornings and uh, ended up. Uh, That's a not Biola my- now, is it? No, that's not no, what turned it's, into, uh, okay. still Lutheran. No, okay. it's still, <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. but they, they ended up, uh, a friend of mine who's a teller said, Hey, there's this little church thing going. It's a Bible study on Friday nights. Let's go check it out. And blah, blah, blah. Another teller had said, uh, you know, I'm married to a black guy. I'm, I'm Caucasian. And there's this little group called the Vineyard. And uh, they're the first group we've ever been around that really loved us where we are, as we are really accepted us. And I thought, Oh, that sounds like Calvary Chapel a little bit. So we end up showing up. I'm talking and I walk in and there's uh, Brent Rue speaking. If some of you guys know of Brent, who are vineyard, uh, yeah. vineyard lore and talking about the end times and all this. And I'm going, <laughs> I was way into it, you know, kind of thing. And yeah, any day now, you know, the the pope will reveal himself as the Antichrist. You know, kind of thing. You know I'm going, what the heck? Now I'm looking back on I must have been taking really close to toxic levels of uh, Kool-Aid there. But uh, <laughs> my gosh. You know? And um, and then came back a couple of times later. There was Ken speaking and uh, met Ken Gullickson. Ken Gullickson. Yes. Yeah. And uh, walked in the door and I, I meet uh, a guy who had been in a movie I saw on TV just before that. I said, you were in that movie. A guy named Wendell Burton, who was in the sterile cuckoo. Uh, he actually played that part with Liza Minnelli, his very first movie. Uh, she wanted an Oscar for that part. And so he was a major player, you know, wow. and, uh, I'm looking over here and there's a guy I go, you look just like Bernie Ledden from the Eagles. He goes, you know, I, I get that a lot because I am Bernie Ledden from the Eagles. <laughs> I'm from Wichita, you see, but not to down Wichita, but you don't see Bernie Ledden walking the streets of Sedgwick County very often, you know? Right. But um, so, um, <laughs> I mean, it went on after on after on, and, you know, for the next uh, month or two. And 
ended up uh, finishing school in Kansas again at Bethany, which is down south of Lindsburg. Uh, I'm yeah. sorry, of McPherson. Sorry. And uh, at the end of that time, uh, by then I was married. We actually had a child. And um, one day I'm praying, hey, God, you know, <laughs> what next? Because I have so many opportunities. <laughs> and uh, I feel like I got clear as a bell. Isaiah 61 is for you. Uh, I'm so excited. I've read Isaiah many times, but I thought, is there 61 chapters? Are there? Yeah. <laughs> and I say, oh, go come to figure. And of course, that's the the famous, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me. And there's all these things we're called to do in the name of the Lord. And and I, I feel like the Lord said, write Ken Gillickson a letter, ask him if he would train you to do that stuff. Uh, and if he would let you go start things like this plant, I didn't know the term church planting, but uh, so I write him a letter. Uh, didn't hear back for two months, <laughs> <laughs> man. I'm surprised you heard back at all. I mean, the way vineyard people respond to stuff, you oh, know, oh my God. Well, <laughs> he, he found it under his desk mat. I have one here, but I, he goes, well, how'd they get down there? And he, he calls me back. Hey, let's have lunch. Janie and I packed up our stuff, said, let's just move to LA and see what happens. We were kind of uh, hippy dippy at that point, I guess. And, uh, ended up, you know, uh, became an intern with Ken for two years. And ended what up, year was this? That was 80 through 82. Okay. Um, 80, 81, 82. Okay. And uh, did a little bit of everything as an intern. Uh, got to do a number of funerals, um, all sorts of funeral stories there, a couple of weddings and spoke here and there, led worship here and there. It was a fantastic, good experience. I got to see Ken make experience, make this, get, make mistakes that I was able to not make later. <laughs> yes. If I had original mistakes I was able to make and not repeating Ken's mistakes, you know. That's and, so uh, interesting. Went to Norway from there, planted a pioneer church in Oslo. So, by the way, um, mm -hmm. Ken Gullickson, founder mm -hmm. of the Vineyard Movement, for people who are just listening in, Vineyard Movement, if you don't know the Vineyard Movement, is started out as a small non-denominational movement that was kind of reaching out to people in the Jesus hippie scene kind of thing. People come to Jesus from, I don't know, the, the Jesus movement days. Right. That's right. And uh, I met Ken in the eighties, late eighties, when he had moved out to Virginia beach oh, to, to, to connect with a, a church that Mark Foreman had planted right in Virginia beach. And I was on staff at a Baptist church in Virginia up in Hampton, Virginia. And I, mm -hmm. I went down and met, met Ken Gullickson hmm. and he's the one that prayed over me and laid hands on me to plant, to be a church planter. Oh, really? Yeah. In 88, probably about 88, 89, right in there, somewhere right in there, eight, eight probably 89. Yeah. So anyway, you know, not many had that happen to them, man. So, um, cherish, I, I know you do cherish it, but yeah, yeah, definitely. Wow. So anyway, so Ken Gullickson, then you went from there to Norway. Yes. You went from LA to Norway, working with Ken, and then you were out in Norway. Yeah. And um, learned a bunch of new stuff there. Uh, a big part of the plan did not come together um, with the team that was coming from South Africa. So, you know, when you plant churches, there's always a, uh, a lightning bolt that goes sideways, you know, that, oh yeah, they're, they're actually not coming. In fact, nobody's coming to help me. Oh, okay. Sounds about average, you know? And, uh, so that's kind of what happened in Norway and uh, learned a bunch, um, came back after a year planted with John O'Dean, who's another vineyard guy from LA, uh, in Baltimore for about half a year. 
Um, and uh, really met Todd, Todd Hunter about that time, who um, mm. has been a had a storied, uh, my gosh, uh, career, but uh, was became head of the vineyard eventually. And mm-hmm. now is actually a bishop with the uh, Anglican Church. Right. Fascinating story. I'm going to have to get an interview with Todd. Oh, he was. So John Wimber, you know, when he put together a national evangelism team in the, in the nineties before, you know, like 90, I don't know when four or five and you are on it. I was on it. Todd was on it. I think Bobby Delancelotti was on it. I can't remember, but it was a little group of us. And yeah. He's still so firing on all eight cylinders, Bobby, you know, done is he? crazy. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Or the anyway. California. Yeah. Good memory. So, um, came back from Norway and, uh, uh, met Todd. Um, and, um, in fact, John recommended John Wimber. He said, there's a couple of ideas I've got in mind. You might want to check out the one in Cincinnati first. Uh, and his, his words were there's 50 people that want to start a church. We got there to check things out. There were five people. (laughs) There was a a zero off on that one, but, uh, we, uh, (laughs) discovered there were 50 that were interested at some point scantily. And so that, that, that was true to a degree, but, uh, we ended up starting from scratch with five people in Cincinnati. It was, um, what year was that? Sorry. What year? That was uh, right at the end of 83. Okay. Yeah. And uh, right around Thanksgiving, Christmas, da, 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 in that area. Um, but uh, I, I was so burned out still from Norway. I was kind of a, you know, John talked about the the walking wounded or the, the blood trail behind you, you know, kind of thing. And I wasn't wounded from anybody. I was just tired, you know, and uh, sometimes when you're tired, you have to kind of let your battery recharge, but um my battery recharged by going out and doing outreach and uh, stumble across this idea of uh, loving, showing generosity, not caring what happens to our ultimate success, uh, but doing it in order to just bring the love of Christ in practical ways. Yeah. So Steve, you, I mean, this is for the audience, Steve um, really, he, I want you to write your book, conspiracy of kindness. It came out in 93, end of 93. 93. But you started putting those principles in practice pretty much right off the bat at your church plant, right? Right. And for people who don't know, um, they coined, I don't know if you coined it or somebody servant evangelism. Mm-hmm. And you, you would always say showing God's love in practical ways with no strings attached. Yeah. And that, that really took off. Like it went around the world, churches all over the world picked up on, on this idea of just showing God's love in practical ways and leaving the results to God. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. Right. That's right. What, what, what caused you, what, what ideas converged with you to, to help that that caused you to stumble upon that? Well, the, here's a funny thing, uh, going back to, all the, you know, I've discovered this thing about how God works in retrospect is that it tends to happen in echoes and you'll see something happen. And I, I heard this uh, as a theory with prophecy before, like Isaiah would say this, and it happened multiple times and, you know, Christ fulfilled it perfectly and so forth. But uh, what, what I discovered is that uh, one person who 
like uh, I mentioned a minute ago is um, Wendell Burton, uh, this guy who was in that movie. I don't know him very well, but I've had dinner with him a few times, et cetera. He gave me a ride from the airport. We stop at a <laughs> at a bookstore, Logos Bookstore, Westwood, California, across the street from UCLA. Uh, we're walking along and he goes, if I was starting a church, I'd do it like that. He points at a book called 101 Ways to Change the World. I'm getting chills here a little bit, guys, um, because uh, it was by... Um, uh, golly, he's a professor at Eastern uh, University, uh, Tony Campolo. Oh, and uh, yeah. Sped read that thing. And I thought that was a word from the Lord, even though oh. he said it offhandedly. Uh, this is what we've got to do. Huh. And uh, it sat there on the on the burner for a while. And I, I spent a year and a half beating myself to death trying to, you know, there's two ways to run a jackhammer. One is to let it rest on its own. And I've run, I've had a lot of jobs, jackhammer running included. <laughs> if you lean into it, it will wear you out pretty quickly. <laughs> and uh, so I've been doing that for a year and a half, trying to start a church without remembering what I really felt called to do. And one day I'm, I'm walking across the parking lot at one of my three jobs, I, I drove a school bus at, at six o'clock in the morning and uh, I'm, I'm walking out there in the middle of January, cold. God, what are you doing to me? I don't know. You know oh, my gosh, God. <laughs> when you say, oh, my gosh, to God, that's when you're really mad. But uh, <laughs> and, I, and I felt like he said, the problem is you're you know, you're boring. And uh, and I feel like he said, if you'll <laughs> give away, if you'll love, if you'll serve, if you'll gamble all this stuff. Uh, away and not even worry about your results. I'll bring you more people than you know what to do with. Again, I'm getting chills. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, it, it was astounding. I, I just said, that's it. You know, what's the worst that could happen here? You make your pros and your cons. The worst is we go out of business. You know, <laughs> and we just had gotten our, our 501c3. We'll give it away to somebody else. No problem. <laughs> but uh, and guess what? There are a lot of people including God, the Holy spirit who love giving stuff away. And, uh, uh, people began to show up. You mean, you're going to give away, you're going to love. I mean, that's what I thought Jesus was about anyway, is loving and giving and serving. And right. so we began to experiment with the hundred and I mean, I'm, I'm finishing a third book, Fred on 101 ways to reach out, uh, in kindness. And nice. there are so I'm convinced there are thousands of ways, right? you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I remember what was the, that you coined a phrase that I think you kind of tweaked from mother Teresa. If I've got this story, right, I've told it this way many times and I don't know if I've got it right now. You can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but <laughs> I think I, I heard, I thought I heard you say one time you heard mother Teresa, you know, somebody asked mother Teresa, how do you do great things for God? Mm -hmm. And her response was, well, you can't do great things. You can only do small things done with great love. Right. And then you, yeah. you picked up on that and coined this phrase, small things done with great love will change the world. Does that yeah. sound right? Right. Is that I mean, accurate? Yes, right. And our, our building in Cincinnati, our 27th building, we rented <laughs> that many <laughs> over the years. Uh, and we finally built one. It says that sandblasted in about two foot tall letters, small things done with great love will change the world. And we, we vowed, you know, if we ever change that, we're going to sandblast it flint clean, you know, cause you know, we don't want to be hypocrites. And yeah. it's really kind of a, of a uh, paraphrase of Romans two, four, the kindness of God leads to a radical life change. 
And, and really it's the same idea, three ideas that the kindness of God, uh, a small thing uh, that, that, you know, we can't do big things. That's another thing she said. And I totally believe that uh, with great love, uh, kindness of God, uh, lead, the, the kindness of God leads to, and then lastly, a, a radical life change mm. or will change the world. And yeah. uh, it, it's astounding, Fred, man. I, I just tell you, uh, look back now and I, and I realize, you know, I, I wrote it in my journal this morning. You want to make a, a dent in the world, bend your focus on serving, showing generosity, loving, willing to lose again and again and again. Yeah. And as I read the, the Sermon on the Mount, something tells me that's kind of what Jesus was saying. Yeah. <laughs> You know, even after I went through my, uh, you know, my dark uh, couple of, you know, 2019, 2020 for me, just literally feeling like an atheist or if God existed, I was just so angry, you know, and it's just a dark, dark place. But, you know, I just what started emerging for me was like, well, well, even if there's not a God, what kind of person do I want to be? Mm. You know, and and of course, I this was all in motion for me. I'd been followed, you know, I got called to be a pastor when I was 16. So I'm, you know, I've been, I got a lot of experiences, you know, and, but, but it was, it, I had to be true to, I had to walk through what I was walking through. Right. And be mm-hmm. honest about all the emotions of it and everything. And, mm-hmm. and it was dark. And, but I just thought, you know, like I want to be a person that, that leans into mm-hmm. with a full heart, beauty, mm-hmm. creativity, generosity, love, forgiveness. Like even if whatever's out there, Mm -hmm. I want to be that kind of person, right? I don't want to give up. Like in, like what you say, what you've just shared right now, the small things done with great love, like that still just resonates in my heart with such beauty Mm -hmm. that I I don't ever want to live, let go of any of that. Right. You know, it's, and I hope I can impart it <laughs> as long as I've got breath here on earth, you know? Yeah. Don't you think it's healing? You know, we, we get it away, we become a, a channel, you know, even Jesus said, uh, well, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus said in John 15, uh, he is the vine. We are the branches. We get the life, we give it away. And somehow at the end, so mystically and magically fruit appears, you know? Yeah. And, uh, That's wow. beautiful. No, I'm, I'm still all for that. (laughs) Good stuff. Yeah. So that, that took off. I mean, like you started getting invited to speak around your church is growing like crazy. Um, I want to, I want to talk about a couple of fun stories other than servant evangelism, but I want to maybe have you share just a couple of stories along those lines. I love the Larry Flint story. Oh yeah. You got, you started getting invited to speak all over the world. Uh, even, even at Billy Graham stuff and you know, the world, Billy Graham stuff, all like to share this, this idea of, of just loving people. Yeah. Small ways. (laughs) Such an idea. Just start loving people. (laughs) Just get out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, man. And your and then your your fixation on cleaning toilets, you know, <laughs> your porcelain fixation, right? <laughs> I know I'm, I'm the porcelain king. I can't help it. I, I you know, we, we have we, awards we give out. I don't have any sitting around now, but we're looking for a toilet one. Uh, it's amazing. We go online. You can get trophies for anything. <laughs> and, yeah, people don't maybe don't realize, but one of the things you would 
you did a lot of was just go to little places, little stores, little, little uh, strip malls and just walk up with a toilet cleaning kit and offer to clean people's toilets. And they'd like, why are you doing that? Yeah. I just want to show you God's love in a practical way. And like, like people started cleaning toilets all over the world, Steve, because you were, <laughs> you led the way. <laughs> I ran into a, a lady. I was telling, telling, speaking at a, at a training school, this lady starts crying. She goes, you aren't, were you in Bern, Switzerland in the year, whatever it was. And I said, yeah. And she goes, she starts weeping. She goes, my dad's from Germany. He came up for that little conference. He's been cleaning toilets ever since. <laughs> I mean, it was like 15 years ago or 20 years ago. It was amazing. You know, I've God been to Bern, Switzerland with Martin Buhlman. Yes. Yeah. I know. What Martin. a character. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. He is a character, right? What tell like your Larry Flint story is kind of, kind of classic. I think mm-hmm. tell about, Tell that story real quick. Well, for uh, those of you who don't know, Larry Flint is the founder of Hustler Magazine, a pornographic magazine. And yeah. he was in Cincinnati. That was his hometown and his, or at least it was his home base, right? It's his hometown. Yeah. Okay. He and Charles Manson, both of them. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding there. And uh, Neil Armstrong. So uh, I'll, I'll just keep on going with all the good and the bad, you know? So, yeah, yeah. But, um, the uh, the toilet story with Neil with him um, we 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 have been known as a city that prided itself on having no porn. Uh, it was uh, kicked out of town resoundingly. Da da da. And at the 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 top of the the, the heap was getting rid of Larry Flint because uh, he had a bookstore there that was kind of started the empire the the Flint empire <laughs> and there is one apparently. Um, <laughs> but he. Uh, <clears throat> He uh, was kicked out of town. There was a movie made about him, The People versus Larry Flint, which I cannot recommend, but it's out there. And uh, it was a big time Hollywood movie, actually. And uh, so he I, I think secretly <laughs> he needed the therapy of coming back into town somehow to get a little bit of a uh, in, you know. And so he figured out a way to get in back to town. He's right near City Hall. <laughs> He found a place to rent. And uh, I don't know all the details, but I know that he was legally there selling partly porn and partly something else. I don't know what it was, probably seized candy or something. I don't know. But uh, it it was legal. And uh, he ends up uh, 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 making a lot of fanfare in the news. Um, There's people picketing, et cetera. Christians down there. We we hate Larry Flint. And, And so Janie and I woke up one Saturday morning spontaneously. Let's go down there and clean their toilet. And, uh, Janie goes, uh, before she could say no, we were in the car driving South uh, on I-75 and we went down and, um, I remember going in and, uh, had, we each had our toilet, toilet kit. And by the way, when you te- clean toilets for random businesses, you really do need to have both a guy and a girl because it looks creepy. If you have two guys, two girls could do it, but it always has to be at least one girl <laughs> to not be for the, avoid the creepy factor. And so we go in and, um, <laughs> Uh, he says, uh, why? And I said, well, I just think Jesus would be cleaning toilets if he was in town today. And, uh, he goes, wow. So he points us back there. We're cleaning it. And one at a time, get this, Fred, he sends all the employees back to talk to us one at a time. And I normally am a, a whiz with toilet cleaning very quick, but I started slowing it down so we could talk to the third and the fourth employee coming back. It, it was amazing. You know, so you're saying, uh, Steve, that uh, this is what Jesus would do. And then, and again, I hear it all the time. I've always believed in that Jesus. 
And I, and I know it sounds kind of weird to say it that way, but if you don't go to church, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know, I always believe me. Yeah. All the deconstructed people that have bailed on the church that I've been in relationship with the last two and a half years, they're not anti-Jesus. No, they're not anti-community. No. Yeah. I get it a hundred percent. Yeah. It's uh, the anti-religion versus uh, Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so we got to leave. This is a funny part. We got to leave. And as we're going out, I I said, well, we're done. God bless you guys. Here's our card. If you need to call us. And in fact, here's my, I put my own personal cell phone number on the cards. Yeah. Uh, I've gotten (laughs) two calls (laughs) over the years. They're both little old ladies. Thank you so much for cleaning our toilet, whatever it was, you know. And uh, so uh, he goes, you know, we, we've been talking, we'd like to give you something for free, anything in the store for free for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I I immediately said, no, Janie says, well, no, I'm I'm Janie. I like that outfit right there. (laughs) (laughs) And it's edible. Oh, too far, too far. far. uh, Well, hey, you know, the first time I met your wife, Steve, you know, I I flew into Cincinnati to hang with you and you weren't there. Mm. Like you were, you were, you were in Europe somewhere. Some dude picks me up, drops me off at your house. Your wife is there. And, and the guy tells me, yeah, Steve will be in tonight. I was like, Oh, good. You know? So he drops me out your house. Janie's there. And then I get to the house and Janie's like, Hey, I got to go, but here, let me show you around the house. And she shows me the refrigerator and she shows me my room. She takes me down to your little movie studio. And then she, Oh, Hey, have you seen this movie? She pops in an Austin powers movie. And then she goes to the scene where he's in the toilet (laughs) and he, you know, remember, and like, he's going show that turd. Who, and that's the scene oh. she so I met your wife five minutes and she's showing me a turd scene from Austin powers. We're real people, man. I yeah, baby. I was like, I like this woman. This is, I'm going to have fun this time. <laughs> we have very little filter in our, I've family. told Janie that story. She acts embarrassed. Goes, oh, I didn't do that. Did I really? <laughs> 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 that is so funny. It's a true story. So very, anyway, very yeah. Real. So, but didn't you bump into Larry Flint like on a plane or something later after yes. all that? But it wasn't Larry; it was Jimmy again. Oh, it's Jimmy, his and, brother. Okay. Yeah, Larry has his own private jet, I think. But but I I, uh, I was flying back from a conference we had done overseas and uh, landed in L.A. Flying back to Cincinnati, a nonstop flight, and I sit down and and you know you you can't make this happen. Uh, they gave me the signed seat sitting right behind Jimmy Flint. And, uh, <laughs> lest I confuse that it might not be him. He had a jacket. I said, Flint industries on the back of the jacket. And he has a stack of magazines. Uh, and I, I, I have a feeling they weren't all sporting goods magazines, but he's there showing this guy next to him, blah, blah, blah. Well, I, I thought, you know, if I, I'm not going to bug him, but if I get up during the flight, I'm going to talk to him. And, and if we bump into each other, well, sure enough, we land, nudge and he goes, Hey, you're that toilet cleaning pastor. <laughs> he has kind of a rough voice. You, you know, you know, Bickle, some of you guys know Mike Bickle. He has like a little vocal cord deal. He talks about like this, you know, this, this guy sounds like that J- Jimmy Flint. And, uh, and, and he goes, uh, he goes, why were you cleaning our toilet anyway? And I'd already told him probably four times through those people and him directly twice. And, and, and I said, well, we just think that if Jesus <laughs> one more time hit replay, if Jesus were walking around town today, he'd be doing stuff like that. Yeah. And we're, we're walking along and he goes, huh? You could tell he was stunned. 
and, and we're walking up the gangplank to go into the main terminal. And uh, he goes, um, who are you people anyway? And I said, well, we're the ones that just came to me. We're the ones that don't hate you, Jimmy. And, you know, again, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start crying here in a second. I, we're the ones that don't hate you. And he, um, he teared up and he says, this is tells a lot. He goes, I didn't think there was anybody like that in town, you know, that didn't hate us. And uh, so we talked about having lunch. It's been a few years now, but uh, I go to Cincinnati fairly regularly. I'm going to still hit him up for lunch. <laughs> That's great. I love that. You know, one of my other favorite stories that I want you to tell. <clears throat> so I, I was meeting in a middle school for 10 years. We'd grown to about 400 people and then we bought land, built a building and had our grand opening service. And it just so happened that the grand opening service landed the very Sunday after nine 11. Mm-hmm. So I took me 10 years to grow to 400 people. And then I, I added 400 people in one week. I grew from 400 to 800 in one week. <laughs> and, um, and then it would just kept growing from there. Right. So once we got facilities and I was doing the, I started doing as I tried to do as many services as you did. I, I got to six, you got to seven. I think anyway, you know how that goes. I was doing Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, all that. But at any rate, um, <laughs> At, right after 9-11, pretty much really close, I had two people come to my church mm. with all these new people. 9-11. Uh, it was Carl Medeiros. Mm. And Carl, you know, do you know Carl? Mm-hmm. Okay. A bit. You know, he's, he's Mr. Lovin' Muslim guy. You know, he's been working in the Arab Muslim world for years and years and years. And so I had mm. Carl come in and talk about loving Muslims right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I had you come in. And cause I had all these new people. I wanted to meet my friend, Steve and infuse some love and gracious and small things done with great love kind of stuff into my, into my crowd. And you were there and you, I had booked you so full of speaking engagements and you were not feeling super great. Mm. And, but then you had a few hours to go to the hotel and you said, well, you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather go to the closest mosque and go and clean their toilets. Mm. You, this is what you told me. Mm. And, uh, and I was like, well, okay. <laughs> and so like the closest mosque is way down, you know, it's a 30 minute drive. It's down in the South part of Kansas city. Mm. And I didn't have a good toilet cleaning kit. <laughs> so you took me through Walmart, showed me how to get a good toilet cleaning kit together. And Janie went with us. Yeah. And we drove down to that mosque and I don't know if you remember, but the parking lot was packed. Yeah. And we go walking up, you had your cane in one hand and toilet cleaning kit in the other hand, Janie put a head wrap on her head. And then I was with you and the three of us go walking up to this, <laughs> to the front door of this mosque. <laughs> I mean, this is right after nine 11, dude. Yeah. You remember what happened? Oh yeah. Um, they uh, didn't let us come in, if I recall. Is that what it was? Yeah. The bouncer, the bouncer guy met us. <laughs> and he's looking at your toilet cleaning kit. He's not sure what the hell is going on. Is there a bomb in there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, Coming to bomb God. the place. And remember, yeah, he was like, you said, well, we just want to... Sh- we just want to clean your toilet, show you God's love. We're Christian. You said you were Christians like, you know, and he's like, well, let me, and he makes us stay in the parking lot. He runs in and then uh, 
Next thing you know, he comes back out. You know, like you guys had an argument, he, but they wouldn't let us come in and clean their toilet. He says that we, if you come in, as, you have to come in as our guest. We, we must serve you Aww. is what he said. Mm-hmm. And so then we, so we took our shoes off and they, they stopped the whole conference. They were doing a conference on jihad to try to teach their people <laughs> what's going on in the world. Right. I remember now jihad one Oh one. That's what yeah, it was. exactly. <laughs> they served, they, they, toured us the building. They stopped their deal. They were so kind to us. Mm-hmm. And then when we were leaving, the bouncer guy stopped us. Do you remember this? Yes. And he, that, oh he, my God. he stopped us and he almost started crying. And he, he said, you know, the Quran says that Christians have a tender place in their heart. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I've seen that today. Yeah. And it's deeply touched my heart. Yeah. He went like this as he said it, I think. Yeah. And then as we're leaving, get this. He, uh, I'm in the, Janie's in the back. <laughs> and I'm in the, the front seat here with you. And he puts his hand on the screen of the uh, window like this. It was like a symbolic of, you know, better than high five, you know, any day. Yeah. Uh, I've only had that happen two or three times where somebody was so touched. They put their hand up at the end, kind of like, almost like by nature, I, I should do this. They didn't know it wasn't a high five, high five. It was just a bless you, uh, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. I, I've told that story so many times because it, for me, it says so many things, right? Yeah. Like breaking barriers, you know, loving, you know, what sometimes we would perceive were our enemies. Certainly, certainly in America at that time period, yeah. everybody was thinking the Muslims are their enemies, right? You know, and yeah. There's just so much in that story that I think mm-hmm. represents. I That's why that. I love you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That was yeah. definitely a ready fire aim thing, you know, cause we, we, we were just uh, spontaneously talking. We said, Hey, let's go do that and see what happens. You know, what's yeah. the worst? <laughs> no, but you, I was like, God, warn him out. He, he needs to probably <laughs> go home and rest. Oh. Yeah. Well, Hey, um, Oh man, you've done so many creative things. Um, you're one of the most creative pe- people I ever knew. I, I love the kind of stuff you were, you were the first pastor I ever met that was doing fun Saturday night live video skits and showing them <laughs> on your, on your weekend services. Yeah. And, uh, you were, you were just telling me that you can, some of those, can people actually see some of those old? Yes. They're kind of, they feel so retro now, but it's funny, funny stuff. Yeah. I loved your Y2K skit. Oh yeah. You're yeah, yeah, yeah. down in the bomb shelter right before Y2K hit. <laughs> right. And, um, it was, uh, cause I'd made fun of Y2K for about two years. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and we had people leaving the church on occasion cause of they, they were getting ready if, you know, for the end yeah. times and so forth. Right. I, I just, you know, I just, I think I probably shouldn't have made so much fun, <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, in the end, I just said, you know, I was kidding the whole time. I'm seriously, you know, bombshell. right. And you had that long beard that looked like, yeah. 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 <laughs> kind of, yeah. yeah. And, and then I, the, the, the supplies were, uh, hundreds of, uh, rolls of toilet paper. I mean, the whole wall and in front of that were dozens and dozens of cans of spam stacked on one. Another. Oh, it was great. What else you do you need? Spam and toilet paper, you know. Right. Yeah. It had this great serious monologue. Oh, funny stuff, man. 
Well, Steve, let's let's shift gears here a bit. Um, while you're pastoring this church and doing so many great things, uh, you found out that you needed a gallbladder surgery. Mm. And uh, some things happened that kind of changed your life pretty dramatically. Mm. You want to share a little bit about yeah. that and about your 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 NDE experience? Yeah. Um, my near death experience, my, um, I went in for, like you said, Fred, a, uh, a simple, fairly simple, straightforward issue. Um, uh, here's the really bizarre thing. I'll say this to begin with, so you can comprehend how difficult the whole thing was. Uh, they wanted to take my gallbladder out because I had all the symptoms of a gallbladder person needing surgery. They did five different tests. Uh, they did not locate my gallbladder because, um, uh, they said it must be impacted, as they called it. They use that word, and uh, and therefore even more prone toward a a gallbladder uh, problem. And I was getting ready to do a bunch of international travel, blah blah blah. Uh, we better take care of it. I'd rather do it here than in uh, some odd place in you know a third world deal. And so uh, anyway, went in within a minute or two of the surgery, uh, a laparoscopic surgery, making small incisions. Uh, the, the fourth one they made, the final one is by your belly button. And somehow that instrument that makes the little teeny cut went way too deep and hit my aorta and front and back. And, um, I told this story so many times, I, I gotta be careful how much I say medically, because I've had people in England, especially they start passing out practically, you know, and I, sorry, you, know, you guys are queasy stomachs, but, but, uh, my blood pressure went down to 30 over 10 for over an hour. Uh, they were pretty sure that I had brain damage, which my wife uh, has confirmed many times. <laughs> but I, I know, seriously, I have some death perception problems, and um, I know that for sure. Um, well, you had to learn to walk again. You had to learn yeah. to. I had to that, learn to. So tell people, you, you had a double punctured aorta, and at that time in the history of modern medicine, how many people have had have well, ever survived a double punctured aorta? Not many, not many. And some very well-known people have uh, died uh, in similar circumstances that had probably the best healthcare uh, that you could get. Uh, Aristotle Anastas, for one, had a, a similar, very similar thing happen to him with his aorta, da, da, da. He died. And, you know, he, he was the wealthiest guy in the world at that time. And um, so, but at that, that year in particular, they, we know from research that less than a dozen people had that, uh, survive that accident. And I said, Oh, how many were there to begin with? Oh, there was tens of thousands. It's, it's not completely uncommon, but you do a whole year's worth of medical information and there's a lot of people this happened to. Wow. And, uh, I'm going, what in the world? That's incredible. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I die for five or six minutes. Um, I, um, yeah, uh, uh, flatlined, uh, they just kept, uh, replenishing my blood supply. And in the end, they more than four times replenished my blood supply, which uh, again, that's where the British people start passing out. But uh, I, I, I think that it's, uh, uh, you know, just astounding the, the, the level of medical problems that came out of that whole thing. I, part of my liver was necrotic. Part of my bowel was necrotic, had to have a surgery to um, uh, replace my, my bowel. Uh, it was, it was horrible. The whole thing, horrible, horrible. Um, when I was out so-called had a couple things happen, um, riding on that right now, uh, actually, 
And um, I have a title for it. I, I usually keep my titles real close to the, to the best, but this one I'm going to let out. Uh, Dying to be kind is my new book. And, uh, you know, there's in the process of being kind, you, you got to go through a few deaths along the way. And I went through a literal one as well as a lot of figurative ones along the way. Mm. And uh, but I but I did see a number of things. I'll just touch on it for a second. Here. Is that OK, Fred? Yeah, um, please. And uh, the first thing I was aware of was that I was in the room. I was aware that I was not in myself. It sounds perhaps cliche if you've read a lot of these books, but I was aware uh, it's like the uh, real mindfulness. I'm mindful that I am no longer in my body <laughs> and I look completely pale. I was aware uh, visually. I could see visually numbers of doctors scurrying around the OR. Um, I saw one doctor that was Asian. They, they, this is uh, the age of AIDS and blood problems. So they all had th these things on and very fully masked and so forth. And, and uh, I, I later saw him, while I was dead, he was there doing stuff with the other doctors. I later saw him at a parent teacher conference and he said, uh, he said, you're that guy that survived. And I said, I saw you when I was out. And he goes, no, that, no, <laughs> that's impossible. He goes, you were dead. And I said, I said, no, but I saw you, weren't you there doing this? And, and, and he goes, yes, but you were dead. Uh, I say it a third time. He just walks away. Can't, can't compute. And, um, I heard music playing. Uh, I heard, um, and, and again, we were talking music in an earlier talk <laughs> that I, I heard the, uh, the sticks album from Led Zeppelin and, uh, <laughs> they just call it Led Zeppelin three, I think, but, uh, <laughs> I, I could hear, and it wasn't stairway to heaven, although that is on that album. I guess I admit that part, but it was, uh, I could hear them playing, uh, Zeppelin music. I later asked the nurses who were from my, my church to the nurses there from my church. Does he play that, that surgeon led to, Oh, that's his favorite really loud too. We don't like it very much. I go, Oh, but I don't mind it, but you know, but uh, I, I could hear the music. Uh, and, and one last thing I could say, cause I, again, I could go all far and wide with this whole thing, Fred, but uh, I, I was aware that I wasn't going to die. And what I heard was, and I heard it through a multitude of voices is, Oh, it, I saw a picture of what it was, was kind of a, uh, a giant uh, sunflower. And you guys are in Kansas. You know what I'm talking about? These, especially the ones that are like the, the giant ones that they make for seeds. And there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, uncountable numbers of little seeds, but those are faces. And each one of them had a different sound, a different accent. Uh, some were high, low, medium, uh, Norwegian accents. Uh, I mean, who knows what all was there, but I heard them say the same thing in unison. Don't worry. You'll live. Hmm. And, and I, at that moment, I wasn't just getting information, but I was getting, boom, I was without hesitation. I, of course, that's, what's going to happen. I'm going to live. Wow. And, uh, I, I could go on and on and on, I, I guess, but, um, I did live. And, uh, there's a lot more to the story when the book comes out <laughs> 699 at Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the white light? I did not see that. Honestly, I had one friend say, if you see the white light, go away from the white, go away from the light. Miguel, tell my dog, I have a 17 year old dog. If you see the white light, Olive, go toward the light. <laughs> 17 is a dog. I mean, come on, run toward it, Olive. Um, but no, I did not see the light, but I did see the other. And, and you know something, Fred, it hits me theologically that it kind of makes sense that you would see a multitude of people, every tribe and tongue and nation. Uh, that, that's what I felt like was that's speaking. interesting. God, God speaking to me yeah. through 
the voices of his creation. Anyway, that's what I Yeah, no, that's cool. Another thing I, I remember you sharing about was that like, because your dad passed. So at such a young age, mm-hmm. you had a bit of a fear of death, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. this experience um, kind of reshaped that a little bit, didn't it? That fear. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, Janie and I were talking just yesterday about uh, my spine. I mean, coincidentally that I had, dreams, uh, nightmares about spiders getting me over and over and over again. And, and literally began the night that my dad died, August 18th, 1968. I know I have a memory for those kinds of things. And, uh, I, for, for decades, uh, I had, I would say virtually nightly a dream about spiders. I'm always running in slow motion, the giant black widow of the worst possible spider, you know, and, uh, gets me in the very end. And, uh, even when I was at Bethany, I, I mentioned, I, I had my roommates, I had Tom, I'm going to probably start yelling at night. So get used to it. <laughs> and, uh, every time I, th- that would happen often. And, uh, but when this happened, here's my, my thought, Fred, is that the, the fear of death is really, it boils down to this, the fear of losing control. And it's the, the ultimate loss of control because mm. we have, we can't fight it. It's just going to happen to all of us. Mm. But uh, when I've been through when you've been through a complete loss of control for an extended time, mm. let that sink in for a second. Yeah. You've had absolutely no control for an extended time. You begin to realize, I guess all I can do is lean into it. All mm. I can do is lean into it. Yeah. And, uh, mm. and I, and I think that's a healing thing and it's, it's, Oh man. Another one of those themes in my life, Fred, that, uh, I'm so glad that I'm not only freed, but I'm helping other people. I think to a degree anyway, get freed up from that fear. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So much. Um, the, uh, P- PTSD. Yeah. What talk about that a little bit. How, well, what's that, your experience with that and what, what, what's, what are some of the things that you've learned around that? Yeah. Well, um, I've got a lot of letters by my name, <laughs> PTSD are four of them and uh, post-traumatic stress. Uh, uh, you, you pretty much cannot go through a major, major thing like this and not have physically and emotionally and relationally, because you, you realize when you go through something that devastating physically, we have to learn to walk again. Uh, your my confidence was robbed. And, and honestly, scouts honor has never come back like it was Um you know, and, and maybe there's a bit of wisdom there even because I might've been overly confident. I don't know. Uh, but well, you were, your, your brain went a thousand miles an hour. Yeah. And such creativity, you know, um, how long were you in a coma? Uh, about During, five days, maybe Something like five that, days. Five days, less than a yeah. week, but closer to a week. Yeah. And, uh, and so that creates a, a trauma. Mm-hmm that roots deeply down in our amygdala. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is this, then our, our amygdala becomes hypersensitive. Mm-hmm. Is that, am I right? Yep. PTSD. Right. One of my therapists, I've, I've been in with a number of therapists and uh, they said, um, uh, they, we're not going to do a brain scan because you're on medication. <laughs> True confessions here. I have a few medications I take that relate to the PTSD stuff. And it has been transformative to me to have medication, to have therapy 
to a degree. I'm, I'm, I'm still saying that therapists are fantastic. Don't go beyond the, the level of your own level of comfort. You need to do what it takes to yeah. as long as it takes, but don't go any longer necessarily. And yeah. uh, they set up my, my singular gyrus as well behind here is red hot. They said, uh, and I guess it's, I don't know brain anatomy. Well, Fred, but this part back here that has to do with some emotional and um, maybe other things of processing. And uh, they said, yours is just white hot, you know, and I don't know what to do about that, but it, it tends to, to serve me more than go against me, it seems, but that's kind of my, my makeup for the trauma has gigantically affected that. Mm. Certainly. Mm. Well, um, what, what, what would you, uh, what would you can say to people who are wrestling with PTSD? Because it's, it's, mm. it's not just military related, right? It, right. It's trauma based. Yeah, and for there's, sure. you know, gosh, you can, you can go through, there's so many different kinds of trauma yeah. that people go through. Right. Um, what, how, how, how are you sharing your story with people? What's your encouragement to people who might, might be struggling with, with, with trauma recovery? Yeah. Um, you know, in the last year um, here in Southern California, two prominent pastors have committed suicide uh, who were clearly in the, uh, Unre unrestored levels of trauma in their lives. Another one happened in the Midwest that you might be aware of. And it was the same thing. Again, you look at the story, you unwind it a little bit. There's trauma there that was undealt with. And uh, at a moment of absolute lack of clarity, they took their lives. And uh, I, I uh, my gosh, anybody has been through a traumatic experience that, that is hard to get rid of. You know, everybody goes through a little bit of trauma. That's kind of skipping the lake. But other times there's like they drop off a body attached to hundred pounds of cement. It goes down to the bottom. That's that's different. And uh, when, when you've been in a deal like mine, where you're just absolutely out of control, it's, um, my encouragement is this is uh, go deep instead of uh, uh, ricocheting off, uh, go deep spiritually. Uh, this whole thing has been a, a 20 year process for me. And, uh, and I feel like it's called me to either get frustrated to the point where I'm, um, checking out. And we talked about, uh, giving up on God and, and all these, you know, ideas that we, we do in re, uh, response to difficulty, but it's either that you either get in deep or you're going to probably struggle with even hanging in there. You know, mm -hmm. and what I mean by deep is, is, uh, going beyond, uh, surface levels of spirituality, uh, seeking God, uh, and, and not necessarily, uh, perhaps the way that you've done this before, mm -hmm. but being open to whatever it takes to get there. So I can be at peace with God, be at peace with myself and not hopefully strangle somebody or two. <laughs> uh, and you know, in my PTSD, honestly, when I was in my early days, I almost got in fights with strangers. Um, you know, uh, and, and I, my, my kids, I was with my kids one time going up the escalator at uh, Broadway exit on at the subway in, in um, Manhattan and, and um, right in downtown Broadway. And these guys were pushing my mom and me up the stairs. And I, I turned around, I yelled at one of them and I didn't realize that his neck was about this wide and his arms were about this wide. And my daughter goes, that probably wasn't real smart. And uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I, I did two or three things like that. And mm -hmm. uh, that was eight, nine years ago now, yeah, but I yeah. feel so much better now. 
Right. I think I've gone deep. Um, yeah. That's my encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. I know I've had to, I've had to go deep and I've been in therapy and, you know, wrestled with things. I journal every morning, you know, I, you know, there's just been, and there, and I've added new things to my life that, mm. you know, even like I'm in a meditation group that like mindful meditation stuff and just been so many things that I did just, you know, just cause I, I mean, I, I lost, I didn't lose my life, but I, I pretty much lost everything, you know? Yeah. Mm. Uh, so those losses um, can be really traumatic and lots of grief, you know, and lots of shame and all, man. Whew. Well, you know, you know, even mm. being a church planter as you were, and as I have been Fred, uh, uh, you, you gotta be, there's a little bit of a, <laughs> <laughs> of a recklessness of people that do that kind of thing. And, you know, I've, I've likened it to harpooning Moby Dick. And if you're not careful, you can, it can be exciting. Like they call it a Nantucket sleigh ride or no Moby can go like this and he can go a lot deeper than my dinghy that I'm floating in. Yeah. And uh, we may not come back up while I'm still breathing. And so there's a risk level there, but yeah, um, uh, we, we got to get over it. Got to yeah. get over it. Be healthy, man. Yeah. Well, Steve, I, I just, man, I could talk forever with you. Um, I, I appreciate you sharing uh, some of your, your early history and some of the challenges you've gone through. Uh, you and Janie now are in, in LA. Yes. Um, tell us about kind of what, what's going on now and, 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 you know, what's in your future. Tell, tell people how to access your website, yeah. your books, anything that's going on when you're in your world okay. right now. Well, um, the fastest way to read my stuff is Amazon, actually, although we do sell books uh, in quantity that if you want to write by a, a book or a box or two, we would be happy to do that at kindnessresources.com, kindnessresources. But our main site now actually is because uh, we have a, a five or six sites, actually, but the one we're really promoting now is uh, Kindness Explosion, two words, kindnessexplosion.com. And uh, what we're doing is um, a people ask me what I do. And I, I think, well, at this moment I am, but in, in about 15 minutes, I'm just really different because we're doing so many different things actually. But, but I uh, overseeing a tour we're doing out of Texas, as well as Cincinnati, as well as Los Angeles, we're going around the country doing kindness explosions. And what we do is come into a city, the stuff that we've done over the years, uh, Fred, that you, you're aware of, a lot of people have heard about what we do, I think. And um, we go in and we do a variety of things. And the, the idea is to raise the water level of outreach and uh, awareness of people around us in our community uh, that we can serve a way into their lives. Because <clears throat> there is such an incredible, well, in church world period, lack of momentum going on. People are afraid to go back to church to, to, to assemble, et cetera. And so um, this is the, maybe the perfect time, the best time, the most important time we've ever had in going out and bringing the, the love of Christ and not talk, 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 but show, 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 and then answer questions. Because <laughs> if you show, they will ask you all the questions that are on their heart to ask, not the ones you think they should be asking you. <laughs> um, but um, again, you know, two books, I think you could read that would be really helpful. Can I say that real fast? Yeah. Uh, one is um, Conspiracy of Kindness, my first book, which is kind of the compendium. Um, uh, it's been called a classic. I, I think it is. It sold a lot of copies over the years. And uh, yeah. that's on it's Amazon. It's still one of my top 10. Oh, I love uh, that. 
No, serious. It's yeah. shaped me. Yeah, definitely. But, so conspiracy kindness. And then I, there's a, several books on 101 ways to do kindness that are on Amazon. If you look it up, pick the one you like mm-hmm. the best. I'm working on a fourth one right now. And the, the new one is ready for the drum roll. 101 ways to bring kindness when the world's on fire. And mm. the world is for Pete's sake on fire. And I don't see it lightening up anytime in the next 90 days for sure. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I, Definitely. I, it seems like it's been on fire for a long time. It might be this little part over there by Russia that lights up. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, my, that'll be the main light up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. But, uh, but yeah, we, but yeah, follow us. We would love to come. There's uh, uh, videos on there. You can see our picture. Our, our fun, our most fun thing, Fred, is we have actually two different toilets that are different sizes that inflate. And one goes about uh, 12 feet in the air. The other one goes 20 feet in the air. And on the back of it, it says, make kindness great. Make kindness great. And then as you drive by, we make have- Make kindness a- great again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then, then on the side of it, uh, we have on our, our banners that are gigantic, it says, uh, Jesus, clean feet, let's clean toilets. Jesus, clean feet. People honk their horns, they go by, they're gone. I don't know what that means exactly, but I love the, <laughs> the visual. So we'll be in Phoenix uh, uh, April 1st at a couple of places. We'll be in Prescott, Arizona, April 1st, 2nd, and 3rd doing stuff. Come and join us. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. Awesome. And, um, is ja- what's Janie doing? She actually works at a church here in Claremont, California. We're on the Eastern edge of Los Angeles County. Okay. And, uh, she's kind of a, uh, uh, she does a little bit of everything. She okay. oversees groups I know, and, and some level of outreach and a variety of things, but it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a neat little church here in Claremont. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, Oh man, I love you, Steve. Uh, I appreciate this interview. This is fun, man. Yeah. Um, Appreciate it too. Yeah. So, uh, kindnessexplosion.com. That's right. Go to Amazon and just type in Steve Shogren, S J O G. S J. You put in Steve S J O and it'll pop right up, I think. S J O. All right. But it's S J G. R-E-N, right? No, S-J-O-G-R-E-N. Oh, that's it. Yeah. S-J-O-G-R-E-N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of them in the Stockholm phone book. I have to write it. I can't. Like when I try to, I've never spelled very good. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I've got all these degrees and I still like, I can't spell out loud for sure. Anyway. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Um so, uh, and I would encourage, we had a great discussion on our bonus content too. So I'll just plug that a little bit. So folks jump in on that as well. Mm. So thanks so much. Tell Janie, I said, hi. Um, I don't think any of your kids will remember me, but I, I do remember Jack. He's the, he's the one that I know the best out of your kids, but I don't, I don't think he would have much recollection of me, but, um, he's 31 and he makes cartoons here in Los Angeles now. Serious. Yeah. Makes uh, cartoons. Yeah. Uh, like, animations. Uh, Really? It's stuff that you wouldn't have seen yet, but it's stuff that's yeah. for um, one group in particular. That's a, actually a, an anti-suicide group. They're doing cartoons to uh, for teens really during, during the tent pandemic when people are so um, incredibly depressed. Some of them, you know, so. he's the artistic yeah. person behind it. Uh, he it? and his wife both. Yeah. 
Yeah. Does he, have a, does he have an Instagram website stuff where he Jack Shogren.com. I might want to do an interview with him. I he love doing is. artists like musicians and artists and his wife also is very, she, his wife also is very uh, well known uh, in, in certain circles. Like she does an Instagram thing every day. And she has between 1500, 2000 to click on every day. So nice. That'd be interesting. The two of them maybe. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks so much. Thanks everybody for tuning in to spirituality adventures and we'll see you next time. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.